All right, welcome to the Vineyard. Well, my name is Drew Stevenson, and I am really glad to be here. For those of you who don't know, my beautiful wife Tina and I volunteer across the hall at Reckless Student Ministries, and we absolutely love that. We've been doing that for the last five years. But t- today, this morning, I'm up here because for the past eight months, Pastor Joe has been walking me through the Vineyard's leadership training. And so while he's away learning how to do emergency relief with the Greater Vineyard Conference, he asked me to come up here and share with you what God's laid on my heart. And so if this is your first day here and you're just walking through the door for the first time, let me, let me share with you. I hope that you got the chance to talk with somebody friendly, not too weird and, and Christianly, you know, you know what I mean, and get a hot beverage and get a, a, a nice donut. But let me just share with you I hope that you know that you're not alone because it feels like just yesterday, but it was eight years ago, the stage was over there and a friend of ours that invited us to church and we had just walked in for the first time and this super highly caffeinated, energetic, bald guy is standing up on front of the stage going, hey guys, after the service, come to my house for a nice home-cooked meal. And I remember looking at my wife, Tina, and I said, babe, we are not going to this weird guy's house after this service. No matter what, we're not doing it. So imagine my surprise when 30 minutes later, I'm walking it back up from the prayer team, wiping the snot and tears from my face, going, babe, please, please tell me you got his address. So that, as weird as it is, those are the moments that I live for. When you walk into a situation feeling like you know exactly what God's going to do, and then you come face to face with the truth, and it knocks you on your butt. See, it's really easy to get wrapped up in looking like a good Christian, So we can go to church, we can do the churchy things, we can do nice things, we can hang out with Christian friends. But if we're going to call ourselves Christians, at some point, we've got to be willing to change. Change our minds, change our actions, change our beliefs. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today, the difference between knowing and doing. So today we're going to be camping out in the book of John. And the book of John, as you may know, is one of the four Gospels of Jesus. But John's a little bit different. The other three are meant to be a historical account. John is a little bit different in that it breaks down some of Jesus' miracles as a way to persuade people, believers and non-believers alike, that what Jesus did is worth you surrendering your life to. And so today, we're going to be talking about some miracles that Jesus did in the beginning of John. So the very first thing he does is he turns water into wine. And then he heals some people in the most dire of circumstances. And then he literally walks on water. And right before leading up to where we're talking about today, Jesus has just taken 5,000 people and their families, don't miss that, and he's turned five loaves of, of bread and two fish into a meal that fed every one of them with leftovers to spare. And so where we camp out this morning is we're talking about the very next morning. These people, these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, The people following Jesus, and I say following loosely, you'll understand what I mean in just a second, but the people that are following Jesus are waking up the next morning, and what happens after you eat a big meal? You wake up after Thanksgiving morning, and your your belly's grumbling again, isn't it? And so they're hungry, and so they're coming up to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, do that again. We're we're still hungry. Can we have some more? And so Jesus is calling them out. He's, He's laying out something that they don't yet understand. He says, what you're hungering after will leave you hungry again. But the the bread of my flesh, the the drink of my blood, is going to keep you to where it satisfies you forever. And they don't understand. They hear that weird teaching, and they're like, what? I didn't sign up for this. That's where we would say, welcome to the vineyard. 
that, that's that moment where you just go, uh, what? So today, they just got their bottom spanked. They just got called out. And so that's where we, start, where we see ourselves in John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one could come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, Jesus asked the twelve. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father God, as we come in here today, we just ask that you would help us to lay down our expectations of what we want you to do, of what we are expecting that you do, of what we are hoping and praying that you would do, no matter how powerful we think they are, we pray that we would just lay them at your feet and let your will be done in this moment. God, lay out for us your word, your teaching in a way that makes sense, that writes it on our hearts, and that helps us to learn more and show more of you to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus confronts his followers for worrying about their stomachs instead of their attitude, right? And he humbles them. He humbles them. That slice of humble pie gets in their mouths, and, and they, don't, they don't know what to say. You know, he, they very well could have said, you know what? My bad, Jesus. You're right. You're right. My bad. I'm sorry. We can keep going. You're right. It did offend me, but I need to lay that down. But instead, they got their feelings hurt. They grumbled, and they walked away. But when he turns to his 12 disciples, Peter says what they were all thinking. He says, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. He, he, he could have stopped there, right? And this is what we're going to dig into today. He continues in verse 69, and he says, We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, there's two different, very, very different responses that we see here. There's those who follow Jesus, hoping for some free bread, hoping to get something out of it. They're following, right? They're disciples. We'll dig into that in a second, but, but they're disciples. They, they are following but they're trying to get something out of it. And then there's the other side, right? There's the 12 disciples who believe, who know that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they trust that. They're resting in that. They don't necessarily understand it completely, but they're resting in that. But the one thing that both of these groups have in common that I don't want you to miss is that at some point they've seen Jesus do something, they've experienced something, they've felt something, and they've all come face to face with the, with the question, do I believe him? Do I believe him? See, for a large number of people, choosing to follow Jesus was just too hard. From, from in John 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 66, the word says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, for them, choosing to follow Jesus, what Jesus was saying, Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They, their, his teachings were just too hard to understand. Or maybe, his teachings cost them too much. But for the 12, the decision couldn't have been easier. The first four disciples who we encounter 
in the book of John immediately call him rabbi. They leave their entire lives, they literally place it at his feet, and they call him rabbi. As Philip says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, they saw the big picture. They, they understood. They had spent their entire lives studying the scripture. And even though Jesus didn't come as a conqueror, as they expected, as a ruler, as somebody who was going to rule with an iron fist and take down the, 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 you know, the dictators of the time, they were willing to surrender their expectations and trust him anyway. See, I can't imagine what kind of faith that took. See, it's so easy to gloss over this idea that the scripture in here is, is just kind of not a big deal. Like these disciples were just kind of superheroes of faith who had unwavering faith and, and did everything for him. Now, guys, I'm going to put a shameless plug in here. If you want to hear more about heroes of faith, make sure you come to our June 21st men's retreat. We're going to talk about some superheroes of faith. But that's not these disciples, right? They're normal guys. They're normal guys, just like you and me. But they, what we tend to forget is that we see the disciples going through a tough time, and we just kind of go, oh, yeah, they, they chose Jesus instead of the world. But, you know, it's not that easy, right? We, we don't see that they had literally placed their lives at Jesus' feet and surrendered to whatever teaching he might have said. Even if he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's pretty scary. But they said, you know what? There's more to it because we believe that this is who Moses was talking about. See, by the same token, it can be so easy to look down on the many, those many disciples in John chapter 6, verse 66, that turned away, who heard this word and chose not to do it. But I'm here to tell you that I, as much as anybody else, am guilty of this today, of being that person that the moment it gets too hard, the moment it gets too weird, the moment I don't understand, I go, you know what? I didn't sign up for that. But that's what we're called to do. See, it's, it's like I tell my middle school guys at Reckless on Wednesday nights. It's never as easy. It's never placed to us as easy as, okay, Drew, today, do you want to glorify God or do you want to sin? Today, Drew, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Now, I have a feeling that if it was that easy, we'd all live a lot simpler lives and a lot more of us would get into heaven, right? But it's not like that. No, instead, we've got routines and deadlines, errands and soccer practice. We've got temper tantrums. We've got health problems. We have amazing technology and terrible advice. And at the most inconvenient moment, we're faced with a, a difficult decision that will change the course of the rest of our lives. See, what I hope you don't miss out on, though, is that just because the many disciples chose the wrong decision doesn't mean that they're immediately banished to hell. What I want you to see is that the many disciples, we don't, we don't get to see what happened to them. We don't get to see them the next day or the next week or the next month. But what I don't want you to miss out on is that those many disciples had just as much opportunity to go to bed that night, wake up the next morning and go, you know what? I messed up. I made the wrong decision. And, and wake up and walk to the next town where Jesus was preaching and go follow him. Make that decision to change their lives, to change their mind, to change their actions, to change their beliefs, and say, you know what? I do believe him. And so what I want you to not miss out on today is that we today have the same opportunity. Every single day is another opportunity for us to stand up and change our mind. But in the same way, if you see yourself in this story, if you're sitting here listening to me, and like me, 
you sometimes tend to see yourself as the many. There's hope. Don't miss out on that hope. See, you've got to hang with me for a second, but just hang on because it'll make sense in a minute. So have you noticed that there's a pattern in this, word, in this text with the word disciple? So you'd be wise to recognize that the Bible talks about all, kind, all kinds of different disciples. There's, you know, in, in the Greek, in the original Greek, the term disciple means one who engages in instruction from another. And so it, it, it's talking about, you know, another word, another word for it is a pupil or an apprentice. And so as we've shown, it's clear that the many disciples are somehow set apart from the 12 disciples. See, in biblical times, a disciple or an apprentice would come to a master and they'd give their lives to the teacher in exchange for instruction. And the, inst- the instructor would then take care of their food, their lodging, and their teaching in exchange for doing whatever you tell me to do. But of course, as you can imagine, they're not going to start with their most prized trade secrets, right? They're going to hand them a broom, and they're going to say, you, go over there, sweep the floor, watch me work. And, you know, any apprentice would go, that, but I want to learn how to be a woodworker. Why am I sweeping? That doesn't have anything to do with it. And then over time, if you're faithful, and you're responsible, and you prove yourself, and you pay attention, you might have the opportunity to learn more and more and more, and to be given more and more responsibility, until maybe one day you could become the master. So I'll give you a good example of this. Have you guys ever seen the movie, The Karate Kid? Yeah? So if you haven't realized, I'm a movie guy, and this is one of my favorite movies, because of the way that Daniel-san learns from Mr. Miyagi, and the way that Mr. Miyagi teaches him, okay? So for those of you who don't know, there's this kid who's new to town, his name's Daniel LaRusso, and he's getting picked on by the quintessential bad boy of his school, who also happens to be the local star of their karate dojo, the Cobra Kai gym, right? And so these guys are clashing, button heads, right? And Mr. Miyagi notices that Daniel's getting picked on, and so he agrees to teach him how to protect himself. And so Daniel's going through this process, and he's thinking he's going to learn all the cool kicks and punches and stuff like that. But what's Mr. Miyagi do? Now, instead, he puts him to work, waxing on and waxing off, you know, sand to the floor, sand to floor, sand to floor. And then he teaches him how to paint the fence, how to paint the house, right? And so after four days of this, Daniel, just endless repetitive movements. He can't even lift his hands. He hurts so badly. He can't hurt it. He can't lift his arm. He, he gets so frustrated, feeling like he's doing all these meaningless tasks, these completely worthless attempts at maybe some sort of teaching. And so he confronts Mr. Miyagi. And that's the moment that we realize that things aren't quite what they seem. That what he spent the last four days doing is not just menial tasks. They're the foundational building blocks of being able to do karate, of being able to protect himself. That, that it wasn't just a, you know, a, a bill of cheap goods, but instead that he was learning all along and he had no clue. See, just like I walked into the vineyard with a crummy attitude, Daniel let his expectations get the better of him, and he quite literally got knocked on his butt. But he continued to do it, and after months of dedication and hard work and training, he got to prove himself on the tournament stage, and as you know, he beat his bully, and he even learned his master's prize technique, the flying crane technique, right? So um, my point is this. Just, be, just because we've gotten our butts kicked by our bad decisions and our bullies doesn't mean that we have to stay where we are. 
Every single day is a new opportunity to increase our faith, grow bolder, and become more like Jesus. So I've got three points that I want to share with you that I think are the fundamental building blocks of having an unshakable faith. Number one, belief is required. See, if there's anything that we can learn from Jesus' followers, it's that if we can't trust Jesus before he does amazing things, we're not going to trust him after he does amazing things. You see, the many had no problem that believing that Jesus was Jesus. Scholars and historians from all different nationalities, all different biblical backgrounds, all different religions have no problem acknowledging that Jesus was a historical figure. There are references to Jesus the Messiah from all different texts and, and all different backgrounds, but eternal life is not promised to those who acknowledge that Jesus was a historical figure. Eternal life is promised to those who receive the life that Jesus paid for our sins. Let's dig into a verse that you've heard a hundred times. John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, rather than believing and knowing, as Peter puts it, the many seem to have a different belief entirely of who Jesus is. And the difference in the disciples' belief can be traced back to the original Greek translation of the word to know. I'm going to get deeper for a second. So there's two different forms in the Greek of the word to know. So there's eido, E-I-D-O, which means to perceive by sight or an intuitive knowledge. So for example, I see, but you, know, you might not understand. So then there's the other one, which is ginosko, which is to perceive by an experience or an intimate knowledge. So the only way that in English we can explain this is through voice inflection. So for example, I know Phil Strout, the national director of the Vineyard, but I know my wife, right? Do you understand? You see that there's a difference, Ido versus Ganosco. So as we dig into the followers' true motives, we see that the many seem to know Jesus in the Ido sense of the word, right? They're just following, they're seeing, they know. But the moment that their bellies get hungry, the moment that they, they want something else, they, they don't get it. They don't understand. Just because the disciples had not only walked along Jesus doesn't mean that they weren't there. They had surrendered to him. That's what set them apart. They had completely surrendered to him. But just because they were all in doesn't mean that they completely understood the point, completely understood the message. See, they, the difference is they were willing to set aside their need to make sense of it and trust that Jesus was who he says he was. They grasped the idea that just because this was a hard teaching doesn't mean it wasn't true. So just like Daniel-san, who had to learn the, that the point of karate wasn't to beat up anybody who looks at you sideways, we've got to understand that if we want to experience the life that Jesus has for us, we have to do more than just show up. Coming to church every week is a really important spiritual discipline. But if we're coming to church on Sunday and we're not digging into the message and we're not worshiping with joy and making ourselves a little bit uncomfortable doing what Jesus wants us to do, then we're no different than the many that are following Jesus just for some free bread. See, if we want to get the reward, we have to be on board with Jesus' mission even when we don't yet fully understand it. 
we have to do more than just intellectually believe that Jesus is the way on Sunday and then go live like trash the rest of the week. And let me tell you, I am just as, as much an example of anybody else of trying to figure that out. So which leads us to our second point. Belief is a process. See, so it may surprise you to learn that I wasn't born in the church. I wasn't raised in the church. Now, I, I was raised with the, the values of integrity and I learned the 12 points of the scout law, but nobody ever said the, the name of Jesus in my household. The only time that I can remember learning about Jesus was when I was six years old, my daycare lady brought us to their Episcopalian church where apparently somebody told me that God can take away your pain, which manifested itself in my six-year-old body. By any time my older brother did something mean to me, my parents would find me in the floor curled up in the fetal position saying, oh God, oh God. Okay, I wasn't six, I was 14, but it's okay, I grew out of it, it's fine. But you know, it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I completely understood that I had gotten the relationship with Jesus all wrong. See, I, was, I had just surrendered my life to Christ and I was slowly coming to the realization that I wasn't as good of a person as I thought I was. I, sure, I read my Bible and I had the hunger to learn about God's word and I was doing the Christian things that my Christian friends were doing, right? But at the end of the day, I was just like the many. And let me explain why. The further I got into my walk with Jesus, the more I held to the belief that I could hold my walk with God in one hand and hold my sin in a death grip in the other hand. And after a two-year spiral of just downward spiral of lies, I hit rock bottom and I realized that if I wanted to do it Jesus' way, I'd have to let go. And I'd have to figure out how to do it Jesus' way. See, from an outside perspective, it looked like I was a good Christian dude, right? It looked like I was doing the right thing with one major flaw. Rather than walking into Jesus' presence and figuring out how to mold my life into Jesus' presence, I was trying to worry about what other people saw of me. I was completely missing out on the point that behavior change can never take the place of heart change. And finally, oh, excuse me, um, I lost my point, sorry. So for years, I felt like my screw-ups, good point, I felt like my screw-ups made me less qualified to represent Jesus. But if there's anything that I've learned from my mistakes, it's that failure is all part of the process. There's a verse that really helps me out in this when I'm going through that roller coaster of life, and it's in the book of James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, it's so powerful to me that James doesn't say, if you face trials. James doesn't say, some of you might face trials. No, instead, there's something so reassuring that when you're going through a hard time, an unknown situation... And you've got a little still small voice that says, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're in the right spot. You're going the right way. How many of us have had that feeling when you're following your GPS and you feel like you've gone one mile too far past where you should be down a scary country road? And then all of a sudden you get that little voice going, destination is on the right. And you look over and sure enough, there it is. There's something so encouraging that the Bible tells us that the hard time produces perseverance and perseverance makes us complete. 
Did you know that King David coveted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, lied to Uriah, and then eventually had Uriah murdered? Did you know that on the day that Jesus was crucified, Peter denied him three times? Did you know that Paul got his start in ministry as one of the greatest persecutors of Christians, beginning with the consent and an allowance of the martyrdom and the murder of Stephen. But that's not the end of the story, is it? See, David repented and accepted the punishment that God had for him, including the death of his son. Peter was restored, and after Jesus resurrected, he declared his love to Jesus three times, and he ended up becoming the person that led thousands of people back to Jesus. And Saul became Paul, and ended up writing almost half of the books of the New Testament and was known later as the apostle to the Gentiles. See, if there's anything that we can learn from failure, it's that God doesn't waste our time. He can take our past and our present so that we can serve him with our future. And finally, belief is only the beginning. So if our burden to follow Christ is to believe, and we understand that belief is a process, what's next? See, we're left with the same exact question that every single person that decides that they're going to surrender their life to Jesus comes to, and that is, what now? Now what do I do? See, we are called to follow belief with action. As the book of James says again, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. So what exactly does the Bible say that we should do? This is by no means an exhaustive list, but the teachings of Jesus that I tend to camp out on are these three. Number one, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, and love the Lord your God, and and love your neighbor as yourself. See, you've got to get into the Bible for yourself and figure out what it is Jesus wants you to do. But either way, every single one of us has to be humble enough to surrender what, what we feel like we need, our plans and desires to God, and allow ourselves to be changed by the Holy Spirit. And then as Pastor Joe was saying last week, we've got to be able to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to be able to do day in and day out, whether it's easy or hard, what it is we feel like Jesus is telling us to do. But whatever happens, we've got to be able to respond with the steadfastness of Peter and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I'll be the first to admit, that's not always easy. But sometimes, all it takes is 20 seconds of courage. Go with me one more time. I've got one more movie reference for you, I swear, just one more. Have any of you guys ever seen the movie We Bought a Zoo? So, in this movie, Matt Damon is talking to his kids about his late wife. He's telling them the story of how he met him. And so, he leaves his kids in the restaurant, and then he walks outside, and he's walking down the street, And he looks over in this window of this restaurant, and there she is, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his entire life. And he just has that feeling. I know some of you know that feeling of like the butterflies and this terror. And he looks down at his watch and says, you know what? 20 seconds. I'll give it 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, 20 seconds of insane courage, and I'm going to go do something I don't do, and I'm going to go talk to her. And of course, we all know that he, 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 he took the leap, right? 
He took the step of faith. He walked into that restaurant and he stands up and he taps her on the shoulder and he says, excuse me. He does it, right? And of course, we're talking to his kids, so we know how it ended up. See, I'm here to tell you that I don't know what you're struggling with today. As you come to your feet, I I just want to encourage you that whatever we might be going through today can be solved if we can just take 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery and dig in to what God is telling you to do. And we've got to wrestle with it. See, for you, I don't, I, I, again, I don't know where you're at, but maybe for you it's a hard teaching. Maybe for you it's a marital struggle. Maybe for you it's a financial hardship and you're trying to dig yourself out of that hole. But I'm here to tell you today, have faith. Just like the 12 stood up and said, you know what, I know it's tough. I know I don't understand. I know I don't get it. You didn't do what I wanted you to do, but that's okay. I still trust you. We've got to be bold and dig in and have faith. Again, I don't know where you find yourself in this story today. I I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to remind you that, that God doesn't care how you might have failed this week. Maybe for you, this is the first time that you have ever come face to face with a God that's not angry at you. Do me a favor, can we come up here? Can we pray with you? Maybe for you, you're going through your spiritual training ground and you're bruised and you're beaten and you just need some encouragement. You need to know that what you're doing is worth it and it's gonna be worth it later and it's gonna be okay. Do me a favor, have the courage to come up and and let us pray with you. Don't walk out of this place not having taken the opportunity to be prayed for, whether it's your first time, your 10th time, or your 1,000th time, take that 20 seconds of courage to just say, you know what? I'm going to go fix the problem. I'm going to go get back into that relationship that Jesus wants with me because he's got a greater glory than I can even understand. Whether it's your first time or your 1,000th time, don't miss out on that opportunity.